Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Massimo. Massimo is helping clinicians and care teams provide excellent care for their patients, both in the hospital and at home. With advanced monitoring parameters and powerful connectivity tools, Massimo offers a range of hospital and home-based solutions designed to support chronic care management, surge capacity efforts, and more. Whether inside or beyond the hospital, Massimo's remote monitoring solutions and hospital automation platform help providers seamlessly manage multiple patients simultaneously, providing data to help them identify when intervention may be required. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. And now let's hear what is in the March issue of the journal. Hello, welcome to the March 2022 Restory Care Editor's Commentary and Podcast. This is Rich Branson, Editor-in-Chief of Restory Care. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice is a retrospective review of outcomes and subjects ventilated for status asthmaticus over an eight-year time frame. Kishoris and colleagues evaluated the impact of invasive ventilation and endotracheal tube size on mortality. Invasive ventilation was instituted in 25% of patients and the need for ventilation was associated with poorer outcomes. They also found that in 275 subjects who required invasive ventilation, smaller endotracheal tube size was associated with higher mortality. There were large differences in the group sizes for ET tube diameter, with only 3% of subjects receiving an endotracheal tube size less than 7 millimeters. This complicates a little bit the analysis of this data. Gilmore contributes an accompanying editorial reviewing the impact of endotracheal tube diameter on resistance and the physiologic consequences. He also suggests that choice of endotracheal tube size in adults should be approached with the same rigor afforded neonates and pediatrics to avoid these complications. Rose and others compared the outcomes of subjects requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation in the intensive care unit versus subjects admitted to weaning centers. This retrospective case control study from Canada compares survival and healthcare costs in survivors. Over a 12-year period, 201 subjects in each group were matched by age, sex, Carlson comorbidity index, income, days in the ICU, and days in the hospital. They reported no differences in the number of subjects discharged home, but did find a lower risk of death, death at 12 months in subjects at a weaning center. At completion of the study, healthcare utilization and costs were higher for weaning center survivors. This was in part related to the additional cost of patients being moved back and forth to the hospital um, for, for additional admissions. Rackley and McIntyre provide an accompanying editorial suggesting that it's the model of care that's important, not the site of the care for patient-centered outcomes. This is important as weaning centers have grown in the United States over the last two decades um, to try and reduce costs. And at least in this analysis, um, that didn't turn out to be true. Eidman et al. performed a retrospective chart review of pediatric subjects requiring non-invasive ventilation, requiring admission to the pediatric ICU. Subjects were stratified based on the use of dexamethamidine versus subjects who'd received no sedation. The primary outcome of the study was intubation within six hours of non-invasive ventilation. In 108 subjects, they found the use of dexamethamidine versus no sedation effectively reduced agitation, but with no impact on intubation rate. 
They concluded that the use of dexmedetomidine may improve NIV tolerance without risk of oversedation resulting in intubation. Andy Miller and colleagues note several limitations of the trial and the lack of a global improvement in NIV success, even with sedation. They suggest that future studies should focus on specific disease states in multicenter prospective trials. Um, mask tolerance in adults with NIV is a problem in children and those unable to understand and cooperate, it clearly is a larger problem. Gente et al. prospectively measured diaphragm thickening fraction and diaphragm thickening fracture max, which is the higher DTF value of the two hemidiaphragms in subjects following cardiothoracic surgery during a spontaneous breathing trial in an effort to predict successful extubation. They studied 50 subjects receiving pressure support during a spontaneous breathing trial compared to 39 subjects ventilated for greater than 48 hours. They reported that greater increases in DTF max were associated with SBT failure, so the patient's working harder. These investigators suggest that measurement of DTF max during a spontaneous breathing trial may be useful arbiter of successful extubation. This is an interesting trial and we see more and more use of ultrasound of the diaphragm to try to predict who will be successfully liberated from the ventilator and who's gonna fail high flow nasal cannula or NIV, um, but likely need to do these studies in patients other than those after coronary artery bypass grafting, um, which really have a, a low risk of reintubation. Sorgan Chatburn report the results of a bent study evaluating FiO2 using different oxygen masks, including open and closed mask designs. They compared a closed simple mask, two open mask designs, a non-rebreathing mask, and a partial non-rebreathing mask. They measured FiO2 from 28 to 100% oxygen with this range of these devices. They concluded that no single device could serve as a substitute for all the others at flows of one to 15 liters per minute. Dupree and others describe a bench study of low flow oxygen systems and varying simulated in-story flows, including the double trunk mask. They take two pieces of aerosol tubing and put it into the sides of an aerosol face mask to try to increase the reservoir for oxygen. Oxygen flows at 10 to 15 liters per minute were set and delivered to a mannequin and FiO2 was measured. They found that the double trunk mask increased the delivered FiO2 compared to, to all the other devices particularly in the, in the presence of face leaks around the simulated face seal. Azrago et al. explored adult data from the 2017-2019 National Survey on Drug Use and Health to identify any links between and within sexual identity group differences in asthma prevalence among individuals who smoke and are obese. Two thirds of the cohort reported having asthma, nearly half of those were obese, and 10% were active smokers. They concluded that smoking and obesity were associated with heightened odds for asthma, with significant odds for sexual minorities and asthma diagnosis relative to heterosexuals. Future research should evaluate the mechanisms responsible for these associations. Big data has certainly become very popular in the last decade, but sometimes big data can cause us to find associations that don't really have cause and effect. So this is something that really needs to be explored prospectively. Coran and others evaluated physical activity and sedentary behavior in subjects with cystic fibrosis and the relationship to health-related quality of life. Subjects were evaluated using the accelerometer for seven days to measure their activity, spirometry, and surveys to determine well-being, sleep quality, and health-related quality of life. In a small sample of 33 individuals, 
75% of subjects failed to reach the physical activity goals and half had poor sleep quality. They found that peak oxygen consumption was strongly correlated with step count and forced expiratory volume in one second. Physical activity was correlated to aerobic capacity. This is something we've seen before in a systematic review published in the journal that the ability of the, of the patient's peak or the range of peak oxygen consumption really impacts how much activity the patient can tolerate. Caslow et al. evaluated the impact of a multidisciplinary clinic on access to pulmonary care and adherence to respiratory care guidelines in subjects with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. They performed a retrospective analysis of 84 subjects with DMD over a three-year period to determine if recommended pulmonary function tests and polysomnography were performed. They found that half the subjects had prior pulmonary involvement and a third were seen in clinic within a, within a year of symptom onset. Adherence to PFT guidelines increased 79% and, 70, and patients completed a polysomnography test in the previous 12 months. The authors conclude that a multi-specialty DMD clinic improved pulmonary evaluations and patient care. Jan and colleagues evaluated the effect of two patient postures on two inspiratory flow waveforms on the results of the cuff leak test in mechanically ventilated subjects. Post-extubation strider was found in 9% of subjects with 7% of subjects requiring re-intubation. They found that the cuff leak test performed with the subject in a semi-recumbent position using a constant inspiratory flow was the best able to predict the presence of post-extubation post strider. Um, the uniform use of the cuff leak test um, hasn't really been accomplished here in the U.S. I think it's usually reserved for patients who are already known to potentially have airway complications or were difficult intubations, but it's not commonly done in my experience. Shibuya and colleagues provide a systematic review of pulmonary rehabilitation following an exacerbation of COPD. They confirmed the short-term benefits of pulmonary rehab, but could not demonstrate long-term improvements. Fisher provides a Cochrane Corner on the use of positive expiratory pressure in subjects with cystic fibrosis. The Cochrane Corners are a short summary of a Cochrane rehabilitation systematic review and meta-analysis, and we hope that these provide you with some information in an easily digestible format to let you know what the best evidence is. We appreciate your attention to the podcast, and as always, we wish you the best of luck and to be safe as COVID seems to be, um, at least for the moment, diminishing. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.